Let's play. surprised to see me pretty much anywhere and I'm particularly stunned when they're not surprised to see me in places very unrockstar like all right I'm, I'm a case in point I'm, a, I'm traveling around the world right now okay and what's prompted this I'm in Stockholm Sweden uh, this is pure pleasure so not in town you know like sometimes when you're in town with a show People are expecting, you know, they put two and two together. There's big, there's big signs all over the place. Uh, you know, the band's in town. So they see D. Snyder and they go, well, that must be him. But here I am sitting, waiting for my wife. She's in a shop in the old part of Stockholm, the old city. I'm sitting in a doorway. Classic homeless person. Uh, you know, well, sitting in a doorway is a homeless person. But really, it's sort of like not... A touristy thing. It's a local thing, really familiar thing, and you're, you're sort of down low on the ground. You're tucked in there, you know, and it's it's just some place. You, you, we don't even pay attention. We see these people in the doorways, and we're not sure what their deal is. So, and and, and oftentimes we think hey, maybe they're a little seedy or shifty, possibly. So we just sort of walk past them. I'm sitting in a doorway. A guy sees me, walks up, and goes, Hey, D, how you doing? All right. I, he extends his hand, and it's, it's... But why does he think that D. Snyder would be sitting alone in a doorway in Stockholm? What, what is it about my persona that makes people think that this is possible? And I said to him... Why are you so sure it's me? Wouldn't your an actual reaction be, wow, that guy looks like D. Snyder? But this was there was no doubt in this guy's mind. There's some guy sitting there on the ground. And I'm not like wearing Twisted Sister costume or something like, like that, people. I'm wearing jeans and sneakers. I'm wearing a baseball hat, you know, T-shirt. I'm dressed down. I'm just like slumped on the floor. I mean, the only thing missing was a, was a wine bottle in a bag. And the guy just walks right up. Not a... There wasn't... He was... I'm, I need to emphasize this. There was no hesitation. He didn't see me from across the street. He didn't, like, double-take me. He didn't... Um, you know, he didn't go, hey, oh, that guy looks... Blah, blah. You know, it was like... Because I, 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 I could see when people are processing. This was... Walking, sees me. Hey, D, how you doing? Swedish guy. Swedish guy. All right? And this isn't the first time it happens. This is, this is what it's over. And I said to the guy, I said, why do you think I'd be sitting here? I said, if you saw Brad Pitt sitting here, would you immediately go, hey, Brad, what's up? Or would you go, that can't be Brad Pitt sitting alone in a doorway in Old Town, Stockholm, Sweden? No. And, and and this isn't the first time. I'll tell you two other unillustrious times this has happened to me. Okay, one. All right, I'll give you. I'll give you one. I was flying internationally. Um, I'm going for an appearance or a gig or whatever, and I get to New York to my hotel. It's late at night. It's like it's like two in the morning or whatever. Um, and they've got no record of me having a room reservation. And I, I travel by myself. I travel light. I, I try to – I really do try to – I used to make a big deal out of travel with the bodyguards and the entourage and, 
it, it just made it more difficult to travel. I just, you know, if you've seen me, I just walk around the airport by myself. I'm chill. I try to be chill. I, I like to go under the radar. I don't like to make a big scene. A lot of celebrities, this is a fact, they pre-announce that they're coming. To, even to airport personnel. So they're expecting them. Uh, the word can go out, which I've experienced, of course, to the inner circle of photographers and paparazzi people and whatever. So they'll be waiting for you. So, I mean, that's all, that's all set up. A lot of stars want that everywhere they go. I do not, on the other hand. I'm, uh, you know, I'm very much, like I said, I just want to go sort of unnoticed. If you do notice me, I say hello, you know, and I just keep... I keep going about my business. But anyway, I get to the hotel New York in New York, international flight, no room in the inn. All right. It's like 2, 3 in the morning. I have a flight at like 5 or 6. It's a couple hours. Um, I had no I, – I, I, uh, my, my assistant is, is uh, sleeping, fast asleep. Fair enough. It's in the middle of the night. Uh, they've got no spare rooms. I go, okay, screw it. I'm going to sort of go to the international airport and I'll go sit in a coffee shop or a restaurant and chill. Get to the international airport at JFK and everything is closed. Now, there's people everywhere. I don't understand how the city that never sleeps, international airport, where people are flying throughout the night, can close everything. It's all closed. So I'm physically exhausted. I've got like two or three hours to kill. I don't know what to do. I can't find a, a, a seat. I, it's, it, the airport's crowded. So I literally slumped down on the floor like so many other people. I mean, no, no sin in that. But I'm laying on the floor on my carry bag trying to get a, couple, a little shut-eye. And I'm just laying there on the floor. Again, baseball hat, jeans, T-shirt, dress down, no jewelry, no fanfare, nothing. And a guy steams up to me, directly to me, walking down. He goes, hey, D. Snyder, can I get a picture? Why? Why would you think I'd be laying? I'm. Am I that low on the totem pole? We've heard about A-listers, B-listers, C-listers, D-listers. Am I so far down the alphabet that there's... No, no shock or surprise if you see me laying on the floor in an airport, sleeping on my bag like a homeless person. All right, and he is. <laughs> I I want to know the answer, and I can't get the answer. Sorry, I'm. I can't get the answer. Okay, all right. Here's here's my final. My final one before I get off this show. This one, and these, they, I'm venting here. I'm venting. I don't know. I like to think that I have a stature that, that at least you would think of me more on a pedestal and less of a sitting on the, laying on the floor in an airport alone or slumped in the doorway of a, of, by myself in the city. I would like to think that your perception of me is grander than that. You know, the proper response being, my God, you look like D. Snyder. Not, hey, D, can I get a picture with you laying on the floor? All right, and my final foray into my final, in my venting here, I'm, I go to um, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in, in Sturgis, South Dakota. Um, I've been there quite a few times. Uh, this year, it's going to be like my eighth time there. It's great. If you're a rider, it, you know, you gotta, uh, you've got the rallies, the biggest in the country. A town of 60,000 people swells, to, or no, 6,000 people swells to like 600,000. When an invasion of motorcycle enthusiasts take over, the, the mid-range thrum of V-twin engines is just morning, noon, and night. <sighs> Just pounding you in the chest. It is it is a hell of a great experience, and then the riding and the music and the, the the community, everything. It's 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 just amazing. So one of the years I'm there, um, me and some buddies uh, who are in the area, 
plan on meeting up in Rapid City. Rapid City is uh, is a I don't know half hour from Sturgis, but it's another. Um, destination there's a lot of cities you've got the black you've got of course you've got mount rushmore out there you've got deadwood you've got um uh the badlands great great places to visit and enjoy so i'm meeting up with some friends all right now i'm all bikered out you know, biker. I've got you know, I've got. Uh, we're going out for a long ride, uh, so I've got my you know jacket on. I've got my my leather chaps, uh, not assless. Um, you know, I, my, I've got you know riding boots. I've got you know the, the gloves. I've got. I mean, I've got the accoutrement. It's like going deep sea diving when you're going for a serious ride. But my friends aren't there yet. Where we're supposed to meet, so I go in and grab a breakfast burrito. And just so we don't miss each other, because we're meeting up at a, at a corner, uh, I've got a bandana. I've got a bandana on my head. All right, so you know, you just got. I've got. I'm wearing goggles or riding glasses. Um, so I'm. I go out. And I stand on the corner by myself, uh, dressed in a biker wear, uh, eating my breakfast burrito, and it's actually where I'm standing is a bus stop. Um. And I'm standing there looking, trying to watch for my friends, which is, you know, tough to find. We all look freaking the same. Everybody's riding V-twin motorcycles and, you know, and dressed like bikers. And a car swerves from the middle lane to the curb where I'm standing and goes, D, you need a ride? With a breakfast burrito hanging out of my mouth, I'm like, why on earth? Would you think D. Snyder would be standing at a bus stop eating a burrito alone in Rapid City, South Dakota? Like you saw somebody, you go, wow, that kind of looks like D. No, D, you need a ride. I'm like, seriously, dude, why do you think I need a ride? He goes, well, I see you waiting for the bus. Waiting for the bus. I want to assure everybody. That I have, um, I've done very well for myself, uh, and I'm quite successful. Um, I uh, am economically sound. Yes, I went through. Uh, you know, I had, a, a, as many of you know, a, a mighty fall in the '90s, but regrouped. Uh, I'm solvent. I'm. Uh, I've. Um, I'm, I'm. 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 I would even say I'm well to do. So don't assume that. The guy laying on the floor in the airport or in the doorway of some city in Europe or standing at the bus stop is me. Okay? Yes, these three times it was me. But that's purely, there were unique circumstances, not my normal way. Now, if you do see a guy that looks like me in Home Depot anywhere in the U.S., it is probably me. Uh, home, well, not home, home Depot, yes, but uh, Home Goods especially, because as I've said before, my my wife believes that every Home Goods carries different things, and she loves Home Goods. So if we see a Home Goods, we're pretty much pulling over and going in, and I wait for her why obediently, while she goes and searches for the matching wall sconce that she got. At some other home goods. So yeah, that's probably me. Also, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, uh, a lot of grocery stores. Um, those are all probably me. Costco. Uh, and um, yeah. So if you see me in any of those places, a guy that looks like me in those places, probably me. But anybody who looks indigent uh, or homeless, uh, probably not me. Okay, except very unique circumstances. All right, so I am on the road, uh, and even though I brought my interviewing equipment, my extra mics and all that kind of stuff, I've yet to meet anybody (laughs) worth interviewing. Or uh, I should be clear about that, have the opportunity to interview people. Uh, We did a show in... um, Chrono and Venom was on the bill, and I really wanted to interview Chronos to discuss, you know, what happened to metal, because somewhere in the in the early '80s, it really came apart at the seams. That's what I think, and I think it was 
the special, like the Twisted Sisters and the Venoms of the world, that and, and the Metallicas too, that had people choosing sides. Um, but I wanted to have a discussion with him, but unfortunately, you know, he was on a, uh, a different time, different night, and the scheduling and flying in and flying out and blah, blah, blah. Never got to talk to him. So I am, you know, using this time to share things with you. And uh, this week, I'm going to share War Stories Part 1. These are stories from the road, experiences I've had. Uh, I've shared some of these before. People have quite enjoyed them. So I figured, uh, what better to talk about, as I am on the road, about some of uh, the experiences I've had over the years with Twisted Sister and without. Um, So I'm going to take a break, come back. With some war stories, part one, because I've got many war stories uh, on Snyder Comments. Welcome back to Snyder Comments. Um, Before I get into the war stories, you know that I'm traveling all over Europe. Uh, for those keeping score at home, I am on Gotland Island. And actually, not a very soundproof room, so you may hear the occasional truck going past my apartment. We've rented a place, Suzette and I, uh, or uh, seagulls. We're near the water. Gotland Island, Visby, which is a medieval city, um, functioning city, but the walls still exist. The medieval walls built in like 1000 AD by the, by the uh, Vikings. And uh, a lot, and the city that's here is very old, you know, uh, 15, it's, it was started, it's, it's the, the, like I said, the, some of the ruins, of tons of churches, 94 ruined churches on this, uh, prop, on this small two-mile uh, Visby city, walled city. And, uh, but the, the houses that have been built since then have incorporated some of the walls and some of the remnants. And it's, as Suzette said, it, it's impossible to describe Visby, uh, Gotland Island. And, you know, and this is a place, and, you know, I, I've kept a note of these unique places I've seen over the years. And I played here with a project called the SMFs, a cover band that did Twisted. We did Twisted songs, covered Twisted songs, the best Twisted tribute band in the world. And I uh, played here, flew in for the day, flew out, and from the you know car window and airplane, I saw this remarkable vacation spot. And for the Swedes, this is kind of like uh, Nantucket Island for us. You know, up in the northeast, uh, you know, it's 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 a vacation spot, but it's it's really unique because what's old in the United States is like you know, relatively new here. A hundred years it means nothing. You know, when they talk old in Europe, it's like a thousand years. You're talking old. You know, I say like, yeah, it's, it's it's over a thousand years old. You're like whoa. So uh, that's where I am right now, but. On to the war stories. I should have some dramatic music to go with this. Got so many stories to tell you from over the years, and mine are not like everybody else's. Um, uh, You know, at this point, most people know, actually, I shouldn't say most, but if you don't know, um, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, ever throughout my entire career. Yes, I was sober. The, the, the things I did, I did all, completely sober. And I wasn't like cleaned up. I wasn't like I was reformed. I never did drugs or alcohol. Actually, now you will see much of the shock of my friends. About 10 years ago, my wife and I started having a glass of red wine with dinner because we're, uh, we're really we're, – I don't say we're health nuts, but we've always been nutritionally conscious. And I've read so many good things about uh, the value of a glass of red wine with a dinner, you know, once a day. Uh, I saw one thing, the thing that pushed us over the edge was if you don't like the taste, which we really don't, uh, consider it have taking your medicine. So, but, but during the heyday in the 80s, not even a glass of wine, zero. Um, I was also been with Suzette for 39 years and hard as it, is to believe that I was faithful to her and true to her um, in this day and age of, 
YouTube and uh, yeah, everything in the world, photos being posted everywhere, social media, uh, nothing secret anymore. And if there was some dirt on me, it, it would be out there. So, um, you know, so, so here I am. I'm on the road. I'm not partying. I'm not uh, screwing around. So totally boring by, by traditional rock standards. And my commitment to excellence, as far as performing goes, is that, uh, you know, is that I can't basically think of anything else. I'm not going sightseeing. I'm not leaving the hotel room. I had this really hitman mentality. When I played, I really felt like, you know, uh, we'd come into town under the cover of dark, check into a hotel room discreetly, never in the center of town, never stay at the hotel where everybody knew you'd be staying, sit in my room all day, getting my weapon ready. You know, the hitman has his, has his gun, uh, you know, and I just had my, my physicality. Then go kill everybody and then slip out of town under the cover of night. And that's what we did night after night after night. A very boring uh, dare I say miserable existence other than the time on stage? Miserable. Um, my wife, Suzette, would never come out on the road with me. She said, you're miserable to be around, and it's just, I don't want to sit in the room with you while you just like fester, because that's what I do, just like brew and fester and, and be in my, my, my game face on, you know, it just, it just get in my head about these shows. And I think I've told you that before. So my war stories center around performing and events as a result of performing and a large percentage of them around violence. Violence, uh, that is something that I think that me and my band have had more than our share of. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, the chip on my shoulder didn't help. Uh, so, you know, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to share those stories with you and, uh, you know, uh, and it's just, just, I just want to think about violence. I'm just thinking about something Kevin Dubrow once said to me, you know, uh, when I speak, may he rest in peace. Uh, I was at a, a festival when Quiet Riot reunited and the band, his band looked great. Uh, it was Rudy, it was Carlos, it was Frankie, it was everybody. And, um, they were playing great. And I said, man, you guys, it's like, it's, it's perfect. You guys are awesome. And he said, yeah, but something's missing. And I said, what? He goes, well, back in the day, you know, there was always this imminent sense of, of, of all hell breaking loose at any minute. But, you know, like, like, like things were on edge. There was a, there was an unspoken anger and a a threat and it hung over everybody's heads and things could just explode violently in the audience backstage. You know, there was that, that, that edge. He says, it's gone. Now everybody's clean, sober. They're, you know, healthy. They're eating right. They've got their kids with them on the road. He says, you know, we've lost something. And, you know, I'm not a violent person, but there was something back in the day. And it, you know, and, and certainly, like I said, I was on sitting on that razor's edge and I wasn't holding back. Now, I've taken credit for inventing many things. I'm almost, I'm, I'm Gene Simmons-esque in certain ways. Uh, you know, and people, I've actually saw that pop up the other day. You're starting to sound a little like Gene Simmons, you know. Um, uh, but please, I hope I'm not that bad. But, I, but I've taken, I have taken credit for, uh, well, I've been given credit for inventing headbanging. That wasn't, I didn't take credit for that. I was assigned that. And that was uh, really by uh, early on in the late 70s, because Twist has been around. I was in Twist since 76. And um, a fanzine uh, on Long Island said that uh, Angus Young and I invented headbanging. Well, first of all, Angus, this is the late 70s. This is the early days of ACDC, so, but still they had recorded product. They were a lot more... You know, Twisted was playing ACDC songs for that matter. Uh, I was in very popular regional bar band. I don't know, although I do know there were a lot of young bands there, and I'll get into that in a minute, uh, if you lived in the Northeast. Um, uh, I don't know if I could say actually that I invented headbanging. I will say that I, it was not headbanging. It was getting the hair out of my face. I would habitually throw my head forward, which would make all that mass of blonde curly hair fall on my face. 
And if you ever get hair on your face, what is your natural reaction? It's get the hair out of your face. Well, when you've got a microphone in your hand and you're gesticulating with the other hand, throwing fists or horns or whatever, uh, the easiest way to get the hair out of your face is to throw your head back again. Problem solved. But I would immediately throw my face head forward again, in, you know, in, in, in emotively, and um, uh, and of course have to throw the head back again to get the damn hair out of the face. The repeated motion um, was what you know what uh, th- this local fanzine said. This is head banging. He's banging his head. So it, you know, uh, I don't think Angus is doing what I was doing, although he might be for all I know, because he's got that same problem of, of of throwing his hair and throwing it back. But um, you know, uh, certainly head banging wasn't a thing like it is, and it became in the uh, early in the late seventies when I was getting the hair out of my face. So I've been credit given credit for that. Also, um, I've uh, I've taken credit uh, for inventing speed metal. I mentioned uh, Twisted was hugely popular in the Northeast. Um, and so many, and this is something that is a movie coming out. It's coming to uh, theaters, art houses and stuff later this year called We Are Twisted Fucking Sister, documentary about the first 10 years of Twisted Sister before the world discovered us. We were around a very long time and we were hugely popular regionally, playing to 1,000 to three, 4,000 people a night, five nights a week in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. That's a bar band without a record, okay? I mean, so we had bodyguards, we had fanatical fans, we, 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 we you know, it was, it was, we were a regional phenomenon, and that's why you'll see very mixed things. If bands like outside of the tri-state area, we're just this, you know, sort of some refer to say flash in the pan, came out, and this perception that we came out, you know, uh, people came aware of us after Crew and after. Uh, quiet riot, and uh, so we sort of like joined in the fray. You know, those who know know that we would be long before Motley Crue, not long before Quiet Riot. They were doing a very similar thing out on the on the West Coast. Uh, we were carrying the torch for makeup and costumes from the Alice Cooper and Bowie days. So we were from so we were wearing them throughout the seventies when everybody else had given it up. So we really are the original hair farmers, so to speak. And when I joined Twisted, I brought my metal along with my love of glam rock. And as a songwriter, uh, created songs that became glam metal, which is, makes makes total sense. So, um, but in the Northeast. If you lived in the Northeast, you came and bowed down before the great Twisted Sister. I'm, so, I'm not. Those are that's just just words other people have used. So you know, bands like Cinderella, Tom Kiefer. They weren't Cinderella, but Tom Kiefer and company were in other bands that opened up for us. Steve Stevens uh, from uh, Billy Idol's band, Poison. Um, God, Hulk Hogan used to come see us. He's when he was a skinny fucker, bass player. Uh, you know, you've got the guys uh, Joe Satriani and and uh, Steve Vai, these great guitar players. Uh, the band Dream Theater, and uh, you know, and now you know, you go all these bands. Uh, kicks. If you were in the Northeast, Twisted was the band to see. Twisted was the band to imitate. Now, there were was a side of Twisted that people don't really that don't really know. Very aggressive well we're very aggressive and bands like uh who became overkill anthrax carnivore uh these are the bands that you know the the at the early days of speed metal came to see twisted we played everything really fast not because out of design because i was so caffeinated out of my brain i said i didn't get do drugs well Caffeine. I was so out of my mind that I would just keep telling the band faster, faster, faster. And these bands will tell you that they saw Twisted playing at lightning speeds. And they went back and said, hey, we got to play fast. So their inspiration for fast came from seeing Twisted Sister playing fast. Oh, I forgot to mention rap bands like uh, uh, Public Enemy. Chuck D has literally said if there was no Twisted Sister, there would be no public enemy. That he used to come see us when he was a kid in the bars. And he and told me straight out, he said, it was your sense of revolution, your sense of, of, uh, your sense of, of rebellion that uh, inspired me to create a band like Public Enemy. 
So, um, so you know, we had a great effect regionally. And meanwhile, the rest of the world thinks we're just some like, oh, yeah, two songs, you know, one hit wonder. So, so I've taken credit for inventing speed metal. One of the other things I've taken credit for inventing is stage diving. I used to think I shared this distinction with Iggy Pop. But then going back when I was writing my book, because I wrote about this in my book, and uh, looking at his, what I thought he was stage diving, he actually climbed off the stage, Midsummer Rock. My memory was that he dove off the stage. fact was he climbed off the stage into the crowd, and the crowd lifted him up. How did I invent stage diving? All right. Twisted Sisters playing a show, a club show, well over a thousand people. This is one of those, this is 1970s. And I always had, when seeing these packed rooms, had in my mind said, wow, it's like there's no space between these people. If I was to dive out there into this sea of people, um, I would float along the top. I always thought that. But I never discussed it. I never explored it. I never verbalized it. But as I look out at these crowds night after night, packed houses, packed clubs, and you know how packed some clubs can get, especially when the uh, club owners are throwing fire code out the, out the window. I would look at it and say, man, this is like an ocean of people. So we're on stage one night, and um, a bottle goes flying past my head. Now, the most heinous thing anybody can do is throw something at someone on stage. It's the, it's the most, the weakest thing. It's the most pussy, infantile, uh, cowardly thing you can do. Um, I know it's a, a form of showing your, you know, your dislike. But let me explain that on the stage, especially in a, uh, well, no, pretty much anywhere, the lights are in the artist's eyes, and they can't, they're blind, essentially blind. Uh, they can't see. Uh, you know, you can see like the front row kind of. That's why if you see me live, I'll say turn the spotlights off. I want to see the crowd, turn the lights on the audience, because we're blinded by the lights, that, that famous song, Blinded by the Lights. And um, so when something comes out of the crowd, uh, by the time we can, it's in our field of vision, it is too late. And famously, people have been injured. Um, I believe Stephen Tyler had eye injury. Lemmy got hit in the hand which, uh, with a sharpened object, which resulted in a, a bad infection uh, and, a, and a blood, uh, blood poisoning. Um, so famously, people have been hurt. So it is, it is the most dangerous thing and frustrating thing. And, and, and I've learned from being out in the house that people don't always just throw things out of animosity and hostility and dislike of a band. Sometimes I, I was actually uh, saw some people throwing stuff, hey, see if you can get our you know, bottle, can, whatever, onto the stage. Uh, it was, I believe it was with Led Zeppelin. I was watching Led Zeppelin in concert at the Madison Square Garden. And uh, did I just say the Madison? I didn't say the Madison Square. At Madison Square Garden. And I saw this guy bring his arm back. I hear the conversation. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he goes, I want to see if I can get my thing on the stage. You know, no, like it's a movie screen or something. Like these aren't real people up there. Trust me. Real people. All right? Trust me. Real people. So I'm on stage, and a bottle goes flying past my head. Now, this is the 70s when they were still serving drinks in bottles, which is stopped in most venues for this exact reason, people using them as weapons. And thank God for that. So I, the band is playing, and I bring the band down, and I go, and I I, I like something like that, I will break. I'm famous for. I'll, I'll break, you know, the song or whatever. And um, so I'm. I go, who the fuck threw that? And I'm, 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 I'm scanning the crowd, and I see audience members pointing in a direction. 
So they're all pointing in a general direction, but it's a packed house. I can't really see. So I, I'm like, you know, I said, you are a piece of sh- Now I'm cursing a blue streak, you, you pussy motherfucker. I said, you know, you got a problem with me? Come on up on stage with me. Come on, come to the stage. See me after the show. Don't throw something in the dark like a freaking coward. I said, you know what? I said, you're a. I, my exact words were. I said, if you. I said, if you have half of one ball, not two balls, not one ball, a semicircle, half of a ball, you will. Make yourself known. And still the fingers are pointing out into the house and I, and I can't figure out who it is. So I said, you know, you're a pussy. I said, your father's a pussy. It's a weird thing to say, right? I said, you, I don't, I said, okay, I said, you're a piece of shit. Your father's a piece of shit. Your mother's a piece of shit. Now, mother is like the go word for a lot of dudes. Mice have turned into lions when you say something about mom. I don't know why mom is the, is, 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 you know, you can say anything about anybody, but don't say anything about my mom. This is, you know, a guy thing. Well, the minute I say your mother's a piece of shit, the fingers go up. Not finger, this thing, this guy, both fingers in the air, fuck you, screaming, fuck you. And he's right where everybody's pointing. And I'm like, is it you? Is it you? And he's going, fuck you, fuck you. All right, so, and the crowd's pointing, and he's going, fuck you. And I'm going, come on up here. Come up here. You and me, come up here, you piece of shit. He won't come up here. I said, fuck it. Now, this is where I'm going to put my theory to the test. Now, let me back this up just a little bit. I had been... Up to that point, and have and 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 subsequent and for many years been known to leave the stage to go after somebody in the audience. I am I am uh, I don't know if I'm famous for that, but I'm pretty well known. Um, and but I would do it the old-fashioned way. I would you know climb off or jump off, you know, in like the front the way Iggy did, or run off the side stage and run out into the crowd and go after somebody and 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 mix it up. Uh, you know, in the early days of the band uh, of Twisted, I was definitely the security as well as the singer and front man. Um, and when you're dressed in women's clothing, uh, you got to defend your honor or you'll have no honor left to defend. Now, then I don't know exactly what I was defending. I mean, how honorable is wearing a negligee on stage? Uh, it's, you know, uh, that's, that, that's, but, but as a 20 young man, um, the worst thing you could call me was a faggot while I was wearing garters and, and stockings. You know, that just made me nuts. Well, who are you, who are you to call me gay? Um, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I had a chip on my shoulder, people. Uh, and uh, I was just waiting for someone to knock it off. So I was, and I'm not, I, I'm not a tough guy, honestly. Well, I'm tough, but I'm not that guy. But I'm passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about my beliefs, beliefs, and I will stand up for my beliefs. I will stand up for myself. I will stand up for my band. Okay, and but I'm not a complete idiot because I'm not wasted. I'm not stoned. I'm not. I'm. I'm sober, so I can think straight. I'm not. These aren't. I'm not. I'm not working with whiskey muscles or beer muscles. I'm. You know, using. You know. I'm. So I got my wits about me, which comes in handy, by the way, when you're fighting drunk people. Yeah, it's it's easy. easy. Um, so I would, whenever I would leave the stage, I would always be sizing up the room and see who I'm going up against. You know, do I think I can take them? You know, and if I can't. Am I going to have anybody who assists me? Will anybody have my back? Now, looking in the crowd, you know, it's a metal crowd. Uh, you know, you could, you know usually, there would usually be some fans there who I know will, you know, to have my back if I, if I get in over my head, so to speak. And that night, as I looked out in the crowd, and this is all happening in seconds, this is, this is, I see particularly large fans of the band, biker fans of the band, right in the vicinity of this guy. And I go, awesome. So if I, if I can't handle this guy, I know 
my peeps, my peeps are going to have my back. Fit great. Now, meanwhile, back in my head, I am beside myself. This anger is, this is not everything I've said here that's taken minutes for me to, to, to relate is happening in more like seconds. This is all in a minute's time. Me, you know, the bottle goes by, bringing the song down, calling out, looking in the audience, scanning the audience, seeing the, you know, getting the guy, give me the finger, come up on the stage. The rage in me is building. Uh, and, and finally, I can't, I decide to put my theory to a test. My guitar player, Eddie Ojeda, says he remembers it very well. Because one minute I was standing next to him on stage, the next minute he says, I see a pair of red spiked high heel boots going past my head. Um, I was that night, I remember I was, I was resplendent in uh, silver leather and lame. It was fantastic. Uh, silver leather jacket, uh, silver uh, lame leather pants, beautiful red knee-high boots, gorgeous, um, thin heel, low platform in the front, my favorites. Uh, Jerry from the New York Dolls, Jerry Nolan, he wore the same pair. I had them made after his, copied his. Um, and I just lost it and decided I was going to dive. Pool style, swan style, into the crowd because this guy's pretty far back to get to him because the place is so packed. As I'm sailing through the air, you know, again, this is happening in microseconds, yet everything slows down. Physics rushes through my mind. Earth science, the laws of physicality. And I said, wait a minute. Human nature says, if you see close to 200 pounds of six foot seven in my platform shoes and hair, uh, body, weight, hurling your way from about, I would say I'm a good eight feet overhead from the stage height, the dive. uh, So I got to be a good eight to 10 feet in the air. Human nature says, get the fuck out of the way. It's instinctive. If something is coming down on us, a heavy weight is falling on us, we, our instinct is to distance ourselves from it. This club, which was so packed shoulder to shoulder, couldn't have been packed tighter, somehow the seas parted. And I fell into an empty pool, crashing to the ground, smashed my leg, which later on resulted in, uh, I didn't break it, but I bruised the bone. And uh, subsequently, we canceled like two or three shows, subsequent shows after that, because uh, my leg just blew up and I, was, I couldn't walk. Um, I hit the ground... And I come pull myself up. I'm dazed, but you know the the shock is is and, and anger is pushing me along. And I I come up, and to find my opponent in the most insane kung fu stance, like one leg up, the hands. He's doing the fucking praying mantis motherfucker. He is ready. Uh, he is ready to take me out. I'm like, oh, shit. He's a karate man. And I am not a karate man. And I, and I I'm, here I am, dazed, picking myself up the floor. Uh, my enemy is in full karate stance, ready for battle, and uh, not dazed. Um, and, uh, and I said, well, fortunately, I saw my peeps in the area. They'll bail me out. I look around for help, and those exact big biker fans are making an arena for the fight. Give them room. Give them room. There's going to be a fight. They're clearing a space in the middle of the floor so me and, and, and Kung Fu Man can have it out. Now, 
this is, I'm, I'm sharing information. Okay, we've already established how I invented stage diving, but the part of the audience catching us, that, that had not yet been invented, the catching part. But the actual leaving the stage in a diving for, formation, uh, like that is documented. Not filmed, unfortunately, but, but it's pretty heavily documented. Now, when in, I've, I've learned this. Uh, when you're dealing with a stronger opponent, there's something called critical distance. Uh, it means you don't want to allow, you don't want to be, uh, if they're throwing karate blows, <laughs> if they're raining karate chops down on you, you don't want to give them the ability to do like full uh, momentum with the hands and the arms. You want to get either far enough away from them, they can't reach you, or if you're too close, get right in on them so that they're basically little short blows. When in doubt, football, in my high heel, spiked heeled shoes and silver lame and leather, face full of makeup, bouffant hair, I charge this wildly gesticulating praying mantis, grab him around the waist, football style, and start plowing him through the audience. Now, I talked about my backup. Credit where credit's due. One, by the way, the band is still playing. The band would knew that when D left the stage, sort of vamp on the riff, <laughs> they would keep playing. So I've got a musical accompaniment, you know, which is nice. Um, so, uh, and but my crew would always be there for me, particularly Charlie, sixth sister, Barreca. You've seen his name listed. Some people on albums are sound man. He was actually a band member. He was in, involved with the band before I was there. Charlie was my backup on the soundboard. He would throw the soundboard into autopilot, whatever that means, and he came, would come running from the other side. So I'd be coming from the stage, plowing his guys with the crowd. Charlie, having my back, would come from the front, and we'd meet in the center. He grabbed the guy. Security comes. They drag him out, and they take him away. And, uh, and, and, and I crawl back to the stage and... Uh, you know, climb painfully because I, I really hurt my leg. I'm surprised I didn't break it. Onto the stage, crowd is going wild. To be tell, tell you the truth, it was kind of a slow night. I mean, as far as the audience response goes, but after this scene, this this you know this pandemonium uh, and the birth of of stage diving, uh, they saw the, the birth of some new concept. Uh, people are going nuts, and uh, one of the fans in the audience waves me down and like they want to talk to me and I, I'm still idiot. I'm, I'm still dazed enough to actually bend down and go, yeah. And he goes, and he goes, uh, that was staged, right? Staged. I nearly kill myself diving off a stage and smashing into a floor. And this guy thought that I was, the whole thing was faking it. No, my friend, not staged. Like I said, we had to cancel two shows subsequently, uh, and subsequently, security was hired. From that point on, we uh, even in the bars, we had uh, bodyguards to do the dirty work for us so I wouldn't have to go out into the house and uh, subject myself to possible injury and death. All right, so that was the first time I stage-dived. The last time I went off the stage... And there are some interesting times in between, uh, which maybe I'll share with you uh, as well. But the last time, 1984, Worcester Centrum in Massachusetts, opening for Ronnie James Dio. This is, has to be in, I'm guessing, May, June. Stay Hungry's out. We're not going to take it is, is blowing up the charts uh, the video's taking off, and some uh, piece of shit throws a bottle at me uh, from the crowd. Now, because we were the opening band, and as is the case with many opening bands, none of the lights are actually pointed at us. They're all behind us. I could see perfectly well exactly who threw the bottle. I, as is my way now, um, I'm in full Twisted Sister Stay Hungry regalia. Now I've got the shoulder pads, the, the boots, the majesty, the, the raggedy Ann on acid, as it came to be known by some. Um, 
I see this guy and literally climb off the stage and over eight rows of chairs, okay, over the rows to get this guy. I dive on top. Now, you know, people, it's not a movie screen, all right? Flesh and blood, real people up there. I know it seems fantasy-like. I know it's hard to feel connected to the, to the stage. Um, you're out there. We're up there. I work very hard to connect people, not by attacking them, but you just by acknowledging them. But there is this feeling of disconnect from the band. But there are real people up there. It's not make-believe. I climb out over the stage. I dive on top of this guy. There's a dust-up. Security, I mean, band, everybody's uh, dive, diving out to the audience, uh, you know, and I walk back on stage, a hero, and I feel great because I've taken out this guy. <sighs> the next morning, my phone rings early. I pick it up. On the line are my manager, my lawyers, my accountants, my agents, everybody, conference call. D, are you out of your fucking mind? What are you talking about? Because you jumped one off the stage last night and beat somebody up in the crowd. I said, fuck yeah, I did. Threw a bottle at me. I go, you can't do that anymore. I said, well, why not? They said, because you have money. You're a success. You're going to get sued. I'm like, are, are you? So what am I supposed to do? They go, don't worry. We'll get you a bodyguard. I said, you're going to get me a bodyguard to protect people from me, essentially. They go, hey, whatever it takes, we're getting you a bodyguard. Cut to, within days, I've got this huge black bodybuilder bodyguard, a guy named Vic. Big motherfucker. Worked for Bowie, worked for, for Freddie Mercury and Queen, worked for uh, Mick Jagger, and now he's working for D. Snyder. He's my guy. A short time later, I'm doing a promotional appearance someplace. And um, after the appearance, we drive off in, uh, in a limo. And when, you, you know, when you've got popularity, you've got, you've got lovers and you've got haters too. Some people just hate you just to hate you. And we're driving in a limo and a car pulls up and goes, and with kids hanging out the window, you fucking suck. Twisted sister fucking sucks. This is at a traffic light. Vic jumps, opens the door, jumps out of the car, rips the door open, pulls the guy out, beats him, drops him in the street, gets back in the car, and we pull away. And he turns to me and says, how was that, boss? I looked at him. I said, it's kind of like watching somebody else fuck your old lady. It looks good, but it just doesn't feel the same. All right, I'm going to take a break, come back, and maybe I'll regale you with one more war story about stage diving uh, before I depart with Snyder comments. On this week's big podcast with Shaq, is Shaq a helicopter sports dad like Diddy? In a few years, Sharif will have his opportunity to play college ball. Don't tell me that Shaq's going to end up being like Diddy. Going after a coach and going out in handcuffs at practice. You know what? I don't believe the media most of the time. Speculation. However, if somebody disrespect my son, I'm going to have to also get arrested. Any form of disrespect was going on, I'd probably have to go see the coach. Oh, man. I'd probably have to go see the coach. You get arrested, this show gets canceled. Listen, I I know Ray Donovan. We'll be out in five minutes. The Big Podcast with Shaq. That's me. It's up right now at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Welcome back to Snyder Comments. Um, I think instead of sharing a story about um, of, uh, of me going out into the house, uh, getting into a dust-up, as they call it, in, um, in uh, the Appalachian Mountains, <laughs> uh, I don't want to ruin, ruin it for you, but at, as you can imagine, um, they, the local uh, uh, the hillbillies didn't take – well to having their ass kicked by a guy wearing a face full of makeup. Um, but I will, t- I will tell you the story of um, one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me. Scarring uh, things that ever happened to me. Um, 
I'm very big on uh, audience participation and very big on everybody in the audience participating. Don't and it, it uh, and I'm I'm very no matter how big the place is, uh, especially back in the old days. Now I, I'm like you know I, I ignore you if you're around the f- rims, around the edges of the crowd. But um, but I would just go to I would rant and rave and, and get violent uh, and get angry if people weren't reacting. And I thought I was winning over the crowd, but I've learned in subsequent years that a lot of people were just afraid not to participate for fear of what other people in the audience would do. So uh, it wasn't love. It was fear. And although Machiavellian theory says it's better to be feared than loved, I think that once the fear leaves, uh, it, you know, um, it's, you're better off having the love. the love. The love sustains you when you're not there. Fear is only when you're nearby to threaten but if you're following any of that, look up Machiavellian theory. Anyway, uh, that's your assignment for this week. Uh, so, um, but I would get I would get crazy if people weren't participating. So we're playing in an arena, sold out show, and the whole place is going nuts. But I see one section off to the side. Everybody's just sitting there, and I lose it because I'm watching them and. They're not getting into it. And I do the big you know, finale, and now I am obsessed with the band, with this section. I stop the show. I uh, turn all of the spotlights on this section of the, of the, of the, of the arena. Uh, I start a stand-up. I start, first, I curse them out, you pieces of shit, sitting there the whole show. Who the fuck are you, arrogant motherfuckers? How dare you fucking look at who the fuck and sit in judgment of me? That's judging me? Who are they to fucking judge me? Arrogant pieces of crap. I mean, I'm going nuts. So, and I'm pretty sure we we're probably opening for another band because you know it was, it was it was just our show. Everybody be on their feet. So I, I hate being judged. I hate people who look at you like they're better than you. And I just go crazy over this stuff. So I start a stand up chant from the audience. I've got the entire arena looking at these people and shouting, "Stand up! Stand up! Stand up! Stand up!" And no. Nothing. So then I start the fuck you chant. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck. You imagine, imagine you're sitting there. Every follow spot, the lights are on, follow spot in the place, and the entire, you've got like 10,000 people looking at you, pointing and screaming, fuck you, giving you the finger. And still, they're defiant. The audacity. Now, I start to get the fuck out chant. Now, you know the Skid Row song, Get the Fuck Out. Sebastian will tell you, the guys will tell you, that comes from, that was a, a pretty standard thing with Twisted Sister. You know, ch- pointing out people in the crowd and saying, get the fuck out and having the crowd chant, get the fuck out. Get the fuck out, chant, nothing. They just sit there. They don't leave. I can't get anything out of them. Finish the set, finish the show. I, I, I become obsessed with people who aren't into it. I've sacrificed entire great shows just for one or two people who were not getting into it. I become obs- I would, back in the old days, not anymore. Now I, I'm a much happier dude now, but I was just angry guy back then. I storm off the stage, go to the dressing room, and I'm just fuming. And my door flies open. My tour manager goes, "What the fuck are you doing, man?" I go, "What do you mean?" He goes, "What were you doing with those people?" I said, "They weren't standing up." He said. Of course they weren't. It was the handicap section. I felt much shame. I still feel much shame to this day. And from that day on, <laughs> before every show, the floor plan of the arena would be brought to me. And my tour manager would say, and this is where the handicapped people are sitting. So don't. Scream, stand the fuck up at them because they can't. The end. That's it for this week's Snyder comments. Some war stories for you. There's plenty more of those where that, there's plenty more where those came from. Uh, I'm headed uh, to, oh, by the way, yeah, um, I'm, I'm headed for my first solo show uh, into Estonia. Estonia. Never been to Estonia before. And uh, there's a free download, by the way. Um, I've released my first truly new song in uh, over two decades called Hell and Back. 
It's available for free download many, many places. Just put it in there. It's on SoundCloud. It's on my website. Uh, uh, it's just out there. Enjoy it. Co-written uh, uh, with Nick Perry, the guitar player from... Uh, he really inspired me, that guy. Uh, he was in a band called Silvertide a number of years ago. He's also played with, with uh, Perry Farrell and uh, Shine Down, a great guitar player. Anyway, uh, it's there for you. Enjoy the track. Uh, and uh, next time I speak to you, I think I will be in Italy because after Estonia, my wife and I are going to Italy for a while. So I think from Florence, Italy, I shall be regaling you with more, I don't know what. All right. Uh, take care, everybody. See you next time.